All right, well, you can open up your Bibles now if you've got uh, that handy and next to you on your phone or you got uh, a hard copy version. By the way, if you don't have a copy uh, of God's Word, if you don't own one, we've got a bunch of them at the back right now. You can head your, make your way back to the back and Kevin will, have, uh, will hook you up. He'll give you one of those and uh, you can keep that. You can take that home as our gift uh, to you. But if you would grab that now and, uh, and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Okay, we started out our, our Christmas series Come Thou Long Expected Jesus last Sunday and kind of a mini two-part series we're going to be finishing off, uh, finishing off in uh, verses uh, four uh, to seven uh, here today. Now, um, as you get to know people okay, and, and listen to them talk long enough and start to hear what they value, it becomes pretty clear that what the human race wants most in life, generally speaking, I think, uh, is happiness. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that that's kind of the cry of people's hearts and actually it it comes out of their mouth as well. I mean, we hear statements all the time like, man, I I just want to be happy. You know, or or maybe someone has said to you, hey, just, just do whatever makes you happy. Or perhaps you've heard or have even said, as long as you're happy, that's that's what matters most. And that longing runs deep in all of us. It's, it's a universal longing. And, and it's not something that we just hear from the world. It's something that we hear from, from the unchurched and we hear it from Christ followers as well. Now the Bible, the Bible describes that, that inner longing really as the desire for joy, okay? Which you could call, I would, I would kind of call it a, a joy, a more robust version of, of what we would, might think of when we think of happiness, Because happiness depends on our circumstances. It depends on our circumstances being good or or favorable. So for example, if you know if I've got money in the bank, I'm happy. Right? If if your dating life is good, you're happy. If your career is is on a trajectory and it's going really well, that brings that brings happiness into your life. Conversely, if those things aren't going so well, um, there's a lack of happiness, right? Happiness is produced uh, by external factors such as these that, that you and I might deem uh, positive or, or, or beneficial to our lives. And, and if, or you might even say when, okay, when those factors and those circumstances change for the worse, so does our happiness, and so, so up and down and, and round and round we go on that roller coaster, right? Pursuing, pursuing happiness and all of it just seems, I think at times, so temporary and, and certainly so elusive. Okay, joy, on the other hand, it does last because, because it's produced by the Holy Spirit. Okay, God himself you know this? He, he, he forges joy um, within us. Okay? And unlike happiness, our joy is not dependent on our circumstances. Okay? All throughout the scriptures, all throughout uh, human history, we see examples, maybe we've experienced this as well, examples of Christians experiencing immense Joy, even when external factors and our external situations are dire or, or unfavorable, sometimes downright awful. 
Okay, so joy, if you think about it this way, it actually, it actually transcends our, our life experiences, our circumstances, and even transcends happiness itself. And that, in many ways, is what Christmas delivers. It's the news that Jesus came to bring joy to the world, right? We just sang that. However, you and I, as the church, as believers, oftentimes we aren't really shooting for joy. We're aiming more for the knockoff version called happiness. And we, we get kind of mixed up about this and we, we, we tend to kind of blend that, that aim, that goal for happiness into our walk with the Lord where we can begin to treat Christ as our very own like personal happiness genie, if you will, right? Where we think like, oh, he's good, right? And, and he's God, therefore he should, be, he should be giving me, granting me the happiness that I, that I want. He should be making my life better in all the different ways that we might determine that it needs to get better, right? Only Jesus, he came to do infinitely more okay, than that. It's not to say that our, our happiness and our circumstances are, are unimportant to God. That's, that's not true. It's just, it's just not his ultimate goal. Okay? And so for us, if you think about it, happiness is actually a real low bar to aim for, right? Christ came to bring us joy, right? And joy everlasting, Hey, just last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, and the last verse we looked at there was, was verse 3. Take a look at that now. If you've got your Bible open, it says this. It says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its, what's the word? Joy, right? They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Okay, joy is what the, what the birth of Christ ushered in to his creation. It's what you and I, it's what the church celebrates at Christmas and certainly what we're going to celebrate here this morning. And so we're going to read this, but as we do that, I'm going to have you actually stand for the reading of God's word. It's been a little while since we've done that. So I join you to, or I ask you to join me and stand and I'm going to read this here, Isaiah chapter 9 starting in verse four, it says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord, as we just read and as we you know, start to wrap our minds and our hearts around this, God, it is so clear as to your incredible love for your creation. 
Lord, it's just so amazing as we think about how these words were written seven centuries before Jesus Christ was born in the manger. Lord, we see your plan to come and rescue. We see your plan was to come and bring joy to the world. And Lord, in that we rejoice. Lord, I pray as we work our way through these verses, Lord, it would not simply be this this academic study, Lord. I pray that it would would not uh, merely be just the same old thing we do every single Christmas. Lord, I pray that our joy would be stirred up because we see that you have come and Lord, you have come to bring us great joy. God, I pray that as we end 2019 here in the next week or so, I pray that as we get set to launch a brand new year, Lord, I pray that our joy would grow like never before. Lord, I pray again that we would not get this confused with mere happiness, Lord. I pray that that we would not just look to earthly circumstances to get better so that I can feel better about things. Lord, I pray that our joy would be anchored in our Savior, would be anchored in the one mighty true God. Lord, I pray that in that we would see our joy transcend our experiences, Lord, only you can create this, Lord. We are not, we are not strong enough to, to, to forge this within ourselves, we, so we look to you. And God, we ask that in all of it, uh, Jesus Christ would be glorified. God, we want it to be about you, Lord. We struggle in this. And so God, have mercy on us today, Lord. I pray that you would tune our hearts uh, to be uh, filled uh, with the joy of our Savior. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, you can take a seat. And uh, as uh, you're doing that, here's the first thing here today. If you're a note taker, and we're going to have it on the screen, of course, it's this. Jesus brings joy to the world, assuring me of his absolute victory, as unlikely as that sometimes seems. Now, again, you might remember uh, just last week when we looked at uh, Isaiah, we, we talked a little bit about where uh, Israel was as a nation at the time that this was written. You remember they were, uh, they were very much uh, divided. Okay? So you had, you had Israel as the northern kingdom, you had Judah and Jerusalem, they were, they were the, the southern kingdom, and, and there were some unholy alliances going on. Israel was kind of teaming up with the Syrians to you know, wage civil war on Judah. And Judah was looking to the Assyrians to, to come and rescue them. And so you know, that was kind of a, a mess on a political level. But mixed in with all of this was just this deep, longstanding disobedience of God. They were not following him. They were not looking to him as their leader and as their ruler. They were looking for uh, earthly kings to provide them with what only God could provide them. And so things were not good. Let's put it that way. Hey, but God's heart was, was not at all to leave them in that state, leave them struggling and leave them suffering rather to, to bring them, his, his people, and, and, and really all mankind. We looked at three different things, didn't we? We looked at how he brought them uh, hope, right? He came to, to bring them and shed light on their situation. And, and of course, also to bring them joy, which is, of course, what we'll continue to see today in the verses that we're looking at. Now, all of this was to come through uh, the promised Messiah, Now, the specifics of what this joy was going to look like all get fleshed out here, uh, starting in verse 4. Take a look at that again. It says, "For 
for the yoke of his burden, okay, so this is talking about Israel's burden now because of the kind of the mess that they put themselves in, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you, now talking about God, you, God, have, have broken as on the day of Midian. I'll come back to that. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Yeah, that sounds kind of heavy, doesn't it? Okay, well, this is speaking, first of all, to the immediate context that Israel found themselves in. Right? The need for relief from you know, political enemies. It says there that, that God will, will break that, that yoke of burden. You know, that, that staff used to, to strike Israel's shoulder, the, the rod of their oppressor. It says again, the, the, every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, it's talking about their enemies, right? And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is a, I would say, a, a very dramatic picture of God sweeping in to do nothing less than, than absolutely demolish Israel's enemies in triumphant and ultimate victory. Okay, the, the intended reaction here as the people are hearing this, this prophecy from the lips of Isaiah would be like, wow, I, I can't wait for that. Like, bring it on, Lord. This is what we want. This is what we need. Now there's that reference in there. I said we would come back to it in verse four of this happening. You see it as on the day of Midian. Okay, now this is a, it's an important detail because it's a reference to Judges chapter six and chapter seven. If you want to write that down, I encourage you to read it at some point. It's, it's the story of Gideon. You remember that guy? And the story of Gideon. So, so at the time, uh, Israel was in a kind of a similar situation uh, as they were uh, now in this time as we're reading it in, in Israel. They were being heavily oppressed by the, Midian, uh, the Midianites. They would come in, they would swoop in, they would take the best of their, of their grains and their livestock. And it says that they were, they were hard pressed. It was, it, it was dark days. And then, you know, this, this man Gideon enters the scene. And I don't know if you know much about him, but uh, he's kind of a wuss, right? He, he's, just, he's just not, he's like not the ultimate leader at all. He's, he's, got, he's got big time fear. He, he kind of doubts the Lord. He keeps testing him and all of that. But it's kind of interesting all throughout that. The Lord just, he just works with him and he shows so much patience. And he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to use you to rescue uh, God's people and to deliver you from the hand of the Midianites. Midianites. And so he, he gets him to, to gather the troops and thousands and thousands of men. And, and God says, yeah, that's not, that's not really what I'm looking for. And so remember, he like whittles them down, down and down and down until they got 300 uh, men. And sometimes this has been, I believe, wrongly taught that these were like the best of the best and God didn't, you know, God didn't want certain men. He wanted these specific type men. That's, that's not what it's talking about. The point of that story is, is not to be like, wow, wow, look how awesome these 300 guys are. The point is to show how amazing the Lord is and how he doesn't need us. He doesn't need some mighty army to, to wreak havoc on the enemy. And so that's exactly what God does. And he used these 300, these 300 men, and in a very unique way, um, creates this victory, wins the day uh, for Israel as, as unlikely as it all seemed in that moment. 
Well, hey, as, as unlikely as all that would have seemed for Gideon and, and for Israel back, uh, back then, it would have seemed the exact same for Israel here in the passage that we're, that we're reading today, right? Their, their circumstances were like less than ideal. Can we put it that way? We've said it a lot already. Okay, but here in this, we see the promise of, of joyful victory that, that God would accomplish. Okay, not because of them, not because of their strength, certainly, not because, not certainly not because of anything that they, that they deserved. If anything, it was, it was despite their, their foolishness, despite their, their clear and obvious failures. Okay, this, this victory that God promises, is, is, it's a gift of grace. And this prophecy through, through Isaiah was to assure them and, and cause them to, to cling to their God, regardless uh, of what things looked like on, on the national and political landscape. Now, of course, we know this, that this isn't just talking about national victory for, for Israel at this moment in history, right? This, this promise was, was to point ahead. Right, to, the, to the ultimate assurance of, of a savior who would come and bring, bring victory for all humanity, all mankind, okay? spiritual victory over the devastating, I mean, I'll just use the words here in the verse, the, the, the burden, right? The, the oppression, the, the trampling boot of not just worldly earthly enemies, but, but our sin, Right? That, that causes spiritual separation from, from God and, and spiritual death. And through Christ's birth, victory over sin and, and over Satan, it's, it's assured, right? It's guaranteed, take it to the bank. Okay? Relief is, is coming. And what God is saying through all this is it's, it's going to be absolute. It's going to be complete. It's going to be total. And because you and I, we read this on, on this side of history, we have the, the privilege and, and the benefit of knowing that, hey, that, it actually all happened, right? The, the promise has been fulfilled. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, right? It's, it's done. The unlikely, hey, from, from a human perspective anyways, actually came to be. Now, here's the thing, church. If, if you don't have your eyes on Christ and you aren't being refreshed by the, by the truth and the, the astounding reality of our, of our salvation and, and the joy of, of the gospel and what Christ has done and what, what he continues to do in your own personal relationship with him and, and instead... You, you've got your eyes kind of locked on the world or, or on your, 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 your circumstances or just on yourself kind of turned inwards. Listen, all of this talk of, of joy and, and absolute victory and all of that that we're talking about here today, it's all gonna seem kind of foreign to your experience. Because in your heart and, and in your mind, you've neglected focusing on the right things. Other things have captured your attention. Other things have captured your admiration. And as a result, when we do that, you lose the joy of the gospel, which is like so critical for us. It's a massive need for every Christ follower in this crazy life, right? We need that joy. When our, when our attention and, 
And when our affections, which come from the heart, right? When, when they shift away from the, the joy of God's victory through Jesus and our eyes lock onto other things, anything, you know, other than him, that joy and that, that sense of victory that you and I are supposed to carry with us throughout daily life, it just, it just kind of evaporates. Have you noticed this in your life? Pretty quickly, we forget about it. And we don't care. And optically, from, from a human perspective, victory in Christ it can become a, you know, a, a pretty ho-hum thing uh, to our hearts. We, we don't really care. Maybe for you, it even kind of feels kind of unlikely. You know, as, as the doubts have creeped into your, into your mind as, as to what God's done and what he continues to do and what he promises to yet do. Listen, if you get your eyes off of Jesus, don't be surprised when victorious joy just feels out of reach. That's just what happens. And your, your mentality and, and your attitude and all of it just begins maybe to start to reflect more the doom and gloom of, of, of the world and everything that you see and read on the news or, or you see online. Right? If your eyes are more on your particular life situation, maybe it's your, your goals and, and your dreams and you know, you're, you're really living for today and, and you're living for now instead of eternity, instead of for the Lord. Don't, don't be shocked when, when that ends in emptiness. Don't be shocked when there's an absence of joy in your life and you're looking for, it's just not there. You're never gonna find it in those things. That's why celebrating the, the birth of Jesus and, and understanding what that means for us and what it's all about it, this time of year, it's, just, it's so critical. It's so important for us because it provides you and I, which is this, this golden opportunity even right here now, as we're working through these verses, just to just get ourselves refocused, to kind of to, to, to hit the reset button, to, to kind of zero in on, on what it all means for us. Joy. Because our victory is secured. It's accomplished through the actualization of, of God's plan to save through this baby born in a manger. And as that soaks into our hearts and it soaks into our, into our minds, it brings us the right perspective, the right perspective to our, to our circumstances. It's not to say that you'll never feel pain. It's, it's not to say that you'll never be affected by that. But you'll realize those, those circumstances working out is, is not the be all and end all of what, of what life is. It's about glorifying Christ. It's about him. And I can do that whether or not my situation is good or, or bad. No longer does victory seem unlikely because we've got our eyes on Christ and we know that the victory has already been secured and it will, and it will, it will culminate epically at Christ's second coming, which we look forward to, right? Victory is here. The birth of Jesus tells us that. And we've got even more coming, right? That's joy. Here's the second thing. Jesus brings joy to the world, assuring me of his loving rule, the security that I desperately long for. 
verse six. Take a peek at that now. Follow along. Verse six says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government, and literally that means rule or dominion, the, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called. We're so familiar with this. We hear it this time of year so many times. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now this great verse reveals, I think, I think kind of two core things. Okay, first of all, first of all, that Jesus has and possesses ultimate rule and dominion over all. If you tend to, I don't know, think of Jesus as merely an accessory to your life. You know, if in your mind and in your relationship with God, you, you know, you think that he simply functions as a, as a consultant, you know, uh, to, to go to from time to time as needs arise, or, or if he really exists to, to smooth out all the bumps of your life so that you can better establish your own rule. Well, listen, if that's, if that's your mentality, if that's your, your overall attitude towards your relationship with Christ, then listen, you don't understand the gospel and you don't understand the Bible. Jesus isn't some kind of like bolt-on attachment that, that you add to your life to you know, slightly or largely modify it or, or upgrade it in, you know, in the different ways that you want. Like, like you know, you might like add a, you know, an, an external battery pack to your phone to improve its battery life. No, like Jesus came with, with all the rights and the responsibilities of, of total and universal rule and, and dominion upon, what does it say? His shoulder. It's on his shoulder. It's not on ours. Hey, Jesus isn't some butler that we summon as needed. Okay, he is the preeminent sovereign king. He, he happened to come as a child. He came as a son to, to rescue and, and put on display the authority and the rule that, that he's always possessed. It's amazing how often we need that reminder that, that we submit to his rule and not the other way around. And that's the first thing that we see here. We see that he came to, to rule. The government is upon his shoulder. Secondly, we see what kind of ruler Jesus is. Okay, will, he be, will he be an oppressive dictator? Right? Will he be a, a bumbling fool in this leadership role? Will, will, he, will he let us down? Like what kind of leader, what kind of ruler is, is Jesus going to be? Or, or is he? I mean, those are the kinds of things that describe the, the kind of leaders that we're familiar with, human leaders throughout history and today. But again, look at how this describes him. It starts off by calling him wonderful counselor. This is the picture, or the picture that comes to mind here is, is a ruler with infinite, endless wisdom. Uh, right? A, a, a God who, who we can come to when we don't know what's up from what's down. It's a God, a counselor who, who loves us, who, who, who cares deeply for us, a, a ruler that we can trust and is approachable through, 
through prayer and through study of God's word. A counselor who, who, who knows the, what's best for us and, and will give that to us. He's the, he's the wonderful counselor. It also describes him as, as mighty God. Now, I've talked about this before at our church, but, but Jesus uh, had two natures. Okay, he had a human nature and a divine nature together. And, and we actually see both of these reflected in this very verse. Right? The first part, it says, for to us, uh, a child is born. And so we know there that he was physically, in human form, born of the Virgin Mary. Right? So there's this humanity now right there in the verse. And then just a few words later, he's being called mighty God. Okay, so there's his divine nature. And obviously, within this title here, there's a, there's a clear sense as to his strength. Is he, is he weak? Is he unable? No, he's, he's mighty, right? Mighty God, meaning that he is, he's able, he, he, he's strong enough to bring the joy that he promises, right? He's strong enough to, to save. He's, he's strong enough to make all things new. He's, he's, he's strong enough to, to, to transform this world and, and do what he wants. He's, he's not powerless to accomplish any of these things. He doesn't he doesn't need our help. He doesn't, he doesn't need our brilliant advice to help him out along, uh, along the way. He, he, he's got this, right? He's in control. He's, he's mighty God. Next up there, it says that he's everlasting father. Now, let's just be real clear here. This isn't a reference to the first member of the Trinity. I think sometimes we can be a little bit confused here. You know, you got God, uh, God the Father, right? God the Son, uh, God the Holy Spirit, so remember, Jesus is Jesus, is Jesus right? He, he's God the, the Son. So he's not also at the same time somehow uh, God the Father. That's, that's not what this is referring to here. And when it calls him the everlasting Father in this case, it's revealing what he's like. All right, so he is the, he's the ideal or, or prototypical father figure that you and I, we all need and, and, and we desire He's the type of father who, who protects his children, right? who, who gathers them around and, and keeps them safe. He's, he's the kind of father who, who knows what's best for his children, provides for them. He, he deals fairly. He deals, he deals justly with us. He's one with whom intimacy is shared. Jesus is a is a father to his church, to, to those he's saved. It says there that he's described as, as everlasting, meaning that he, he doesn't wear out. How cool is that, right? He doesn't grow tired. He doesn't, he doesn't change ever in any way. His nature, his, his, his character, it's perfectly consistent throughout all of time and beyond that. You and I, we can, we can rest knowing that he is absolutely rock solid in every single way imaginable. He's never gonna like, you know, deal with us fairly one moment and then, you know, later on deal with us unfairly. Okay, when, he, when he promises something, we can believe that he's telling the truth and he will deliver every single time, right? He's everlasting, Lastly, what is he called? It says Jesus is the, 
is the Prince of Peace. Love that. He's come to bring, to bring peace, bring harmony, not only to, to the Jews and, and with their, you know, their enemies there, the Assyrians and, and all of it, but, but to the world. And again, not mere national security, but, but spiritual peace between God and man. Right? The war that, that exists between God and man that our sin has created, there, there's now a truce through Jesus Christ. Peace has come. And it was through his birth and it was through his ultimate death and resurrection. Clearly, we see here that, 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 that the joy we have in our Savior lies not only in, in what he'd come to do, which was to rule, but, but in the kind of ruler that he is. Loving. Right, you look at all this, you're, you, you can't help but come away with the fact like God, God loves me. That's amazing, right? He's, he's a loving ruler, which should fill you and I with what? Joy, right? That, that's, that's what we should be feeling. We, sh- we should be feeling void, joy and even specifically inner security, right? The inner security that we all long for desperately, Right, on a fundamental and, and very basic human level, it's what we all crave, right? And it's what we all look to in our idols. Don't have you realized that? You know, some of us, we have the idols, uh, you know, the idol of, of, of having a certain body type, right? If only I could, you know, lose the weight. If only I could get chiseled in the gym. And maybe you haven't really you know, fleshed it out in your mind, but what your heart is looking for there is security, right? Then I can walk out in public. Then I can, you know, wear a bathing suit in the summer and, and, and feel secure, right? It's that security that we're longing for there. And so a certain body type can become an idol. It's for you, maybe it's your fi- financial portfolio. It's like blood, sweat, and tears. I've poured it into this because I, I want to feel secure. I want my family to be secure, Maybe it's your spouse in some ultimate rock, you know, bedrock sense. You're looking for security through your spouse. They need to fill me with that longing and that desire. And you experience the the disappointment when that's not the case. Listen, in all of these, these are just a couple of examples here, but in all of these, our hearts are screaming, security, gimme, 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 right? We just want more and more. Revealing the deep insecurity that we all have, that we all feel deep down, apart from God fulfilling that need through himself. So hey, as we're all now neck deep in the Christmas season and as the various insecurities that you and I all have that, you know, as they come bubbling to the surface, you know, in the myriad of ways that they do this time of year, Focus on the incredible inner security that Christ's loving rule brings you. Learn to tune your heart to this, to, to, to love him as, as a response, to, to, to be grateful for the fact that he is your wonderful counselor. He is your mighty God. He's everlasting father. He is prince of peace. Right? That he is those things is intended to, to, to heal our, our insecurities, to make us joyfully, wonderfully, amazingly 
secure in him. That's something to celebrate. Here's the last thing. Jesus brings joy to the world, assuring me of his eternal promise, his kingdom established forever. Verse seven, take a look at that now. It says, and of the increase of his government, again, rule, his dominion, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Right? It's eternal, you see that? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, like keep it together and with, uh, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hey, the birth of Jesus, uh, you know, it's such an amazingly joyful event because, because God, you know, it's, it's God giving us a major puzzle piece into his plan, which was to establish his kingdom forever and ever. Right? And man, I, I love how it says there in that verse, look at it, it says the, the increase of his government or, or, or his rule. That, that, that's not to say that, you know, he, he's got, you know, a little bit of, of rule and dominion now, but don't worry guys, it's going to grow, right? It, it's not saying that. It's to say that the, the abundance and, and, and the prosperity of, of his rule and, and of peace, it says there will be no end. Right? That's the kingdom of God. That's what he's building. It never, never depletes. It never runs out. It, it never loses steam. He himself, in his perfection, the word there is he upholds it. He sustains it. And then that last part, look at this, it's so good. Right? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Right there, there, right there is the promise of his, kinglish, his kingdom being established forever. Right? Notice how it's his, it's his zeal that makes, his hap, uh, makes this happen. Right? Amazing to think that the joy that God gives us and, and, and produces in us by his spirit, he himself has, right? He himself has, has towards you. He has that towards me, to, towards his, his entire mission of, of redeeming humanity. It's, it's the picture of a God who, who never becomes disinterested in us, right? He, he never mentally or, or emotionally checks out from the entire thing, from his promise to save, right? He's fired up about it. He's like, he's like man, I, I'm, I'm coming for you people and, and I could not be more, more pumped, right? About you, about, about the mission, about the kingdom, you know, that, that I'm gathering you to and that you're going to be able to experience with me for forever, right? There, there's nothing, there's nothing mechanical. There's nothing robotic about, about God's, God's heart here uh, towards us, right? The joy that he brings the world, he himself possesses and, and he experiences. And it's just, this is just him sharing it with us. And it's never going to end, ever. It'll just become more and more wonderful to us all throughout eternity as we glory in these things. That's what the birth of Jesus Christ in the manger accomplishes. That's what it's about. Joy to the world. Joy to you. Joy to me. Joy to me. 